believe that the Lord God exercises both mercy and punishment? Today on Encounter God's Truth, author and theologian Dr. John Whitcomb, our Bible teacher, begins a new series called Judgment, Then Blessing. I'm Wayne Shepherd, your host, and it's my privilege to welcome you to our program where we teach that God's Word is true from the beginning to the end. Over these next three weeks, Dr. Whitcomb will present a survey of God's plan for the events that will occur in the future and how we are to prepare for them. Today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapters 2 and 4, so we invite you to turn with us to those chapters in your Bible if you're able and prepare to absorb many details that our speaker is going to give us. Here with this week's teaching called The Coming Tribulation is Dr. John Whitcomb. Friends, I invite you to join me in an exploration of what the Bible says about how the world will end. There'll be, of course, the resurrection of the righteous dead, the rapture of the righteous living, then what? The great tribulation for seven years, and then what? The thousand-year kingdom of Jesus Christ, and then what? The new heavens and new earth forever and ever. Think with me with Isaiah, the greatest of the Old Testament writing prophets on these issues. Isaiah introduces his messages in chapter 6, telling how he was converted to the living and true God. Holy, 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 the seraphim were singing, shouting, praising him, surrounding his throne, compared to whom Isaiah himself, a godly man, said, I am an unclean person by comparison with the holiness of God. That was the introduction to his great ministry. Then he gives us three sample sermons, chapter 1, then chapter 2, 3, and 4, then chapter 5. And I say thank you, Lord, for these messages that give us an insight on the destiny of Israel and the whole world. Now, in in chapters 2, 3, and 4, dear friends, Isaiah first gives us a glimpse of the coming kingdom that he offered to Israel. You remember at his first coming, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they all knew what he meant by the kingdom because of passages like we're going to read here in Isaiah chapter 2. The Jews understood that. They they had learned from childhood the basic characteristics of the coming kingdom. They knew what it was uh, that they were to repent for, to enter into it. Now, friends, let's look at this. First of all, a glimpse into the kingdom, and then the the desperate, yes, infinite need of every individual Jew, and of course every Gentile, to repent, to have a transformation of heart and mind toward the living God to qualify for entering his kingdom. Listen now with me to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, in other words, this vision is so brilliant to him that he didn't just hear it, he saw it. And that's what we want to say to the Lord. Lord, help me as I read my Bible, not just to read words, but to see things, to appreciate, comprehend what it is that you've revealed. Isaiah chapter 2, I saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Here it comes, friends, the kingdom. Are you ready? Now it will come about that in the last days, The mountain of the house of the Lord, that means the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of the mountains, that is, of other other kingdoms. It will be raised above the hills, little kingdoms. All the nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths, For the law will go forth from Zion, that's Jerusalem, friends, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Oh, how we need the word of the Lord. It's not coming from New York, Chicago, even Washington, D.C., London, Berlin, Rome. No, it's coming from where? Jerusalem. Now, what's he going to do? 
when he establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem. Listen now. Isaiah 2, verse 4, he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Praise the Lord. There'll be universal peace because there'll be a perfect king who will rule the world with a rod of iron, as the Bible tells us. And I say, Lord, help me to appreciate what you meant by what you said about the kingdom. But then, friends, at the end of this great second sermon in Isaiah chapters 2, 3, and 4, he gives us one more glimpse into the coming kingdom before he invites us to go down, down, down into the depths of human sadness, yes, tragedy, yes, sin and depravity that demands God's direct supernatural intervention into the world to bring about his kingdom, which we cannot establish by ourselves. In that day, God says in Isaiah 4.2, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. That's the name of Jesus, Tzemach, the branch. He's uh, the visible extension, you see, of the Godhead into, into planet Earth. And, and here's an, uh, a rarely understood name for him also, a parallelism. Listen, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and adornment of the survivors of Israel. Jesus is not only the branch of the Lord, his divine nature, but he's also what? The fruit of the earth. He is uh, possessed of a human nature that he received uh, by the Holy Spirit's overruling, overshadowing the body of his mother Mary. He has a divine nature and a human nature, two natures, one person, the second person of the Godhead forever. Now, what's going to happen? And that day concerning him, it'll come about, Isaiah 4, 3, that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. You see what this implies? That there's going to be a, a purging, a cleansing away of all unbelief in Israel. All Israel someday will be saved, Romans 11. And I say, Lord, this is amazing. You're going to do something special to those who are still left. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. The end of what? The tribulation. If you're still alive at the end of the tribulation on the earth, God says to Israel, you will be a believer because unbelievers will be removed. You remember how Jesus said that in Matthew 24. One, uh, two men in the field, one taken, taken away to judgment, and the one remains to enter the kingdom. So these people who enter the kingdom are recorded for life, for life. In Jerusalem, believers who will who will never die. Now, what's going to happen for that to ha- take place, friends? For that kingdom to come, Isaiah four four, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, God has a great work to do during the tribulation period to prepare Israel. It's a transition period to prepare Israel for rulership in the kingdom age. Look what he has to do. The Lord will create over the whole area of Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, and over her assemblies a cloud by day, even smoke, and the brightness of a flaming fire by night, for over all the glory will be a canopy. You remember back there in the, in the Exodus from Egypt how there was a, a great brilliant column of fire that guided them at the nighttime in a cloud to protect them in the daytime. A symbol, you see, a symbol of what? Of the presence of God. And that'll be a protection from Jerusalem, 
so that people can't say, well, it's too stormy and rainy, we can't go up to worship God. No, that holy city will be beautiful. The weather will be controlled. Nobody can use that as an excuse for not going. That is amazing. And there will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. In other words, there will be the weather conditions we know basically today, yes. But in that special place, Jerusalem, it'll be providentially, yes, supernaturally protected from bad weather that would hinder people from coming to worship the Lord. And you say, well, now, Lord, thank you for these amazing insights into a kingdom that we can't create ourselves. No politician, uh, no scientist could ever do a thing like this in his own feeble, frail, sinful nature. And I say, Lord, I'm ready for your kingdom. I remember what Jesus said we're to do about it. You were to pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God will demonstrate for a thousand years what a perfect government is like. And I say, Lord, I can't wait. I can't wait. But God says to Israel, you must repent or you can't have the kingdom. You remember Jesus pro- proclaimed that message constantly, day after day, month after month, year after year, for three and a half years to Israel. They were hardened, they resisted, suppressed that message. They thought, we are sufficient, we are adequate, we're qualified, we're just fine. We don't need to repent. And so, dear friends, the great prophet Isaiah was desperate to see the kingdom. Of course, he never saw it. He is telling his people, Israel, be ready, prepare, be prepared for what's coming. Now, he didn't know how long it would be before Messiah would come. Daniel was told that later, uh, 150 years later, you remember. But Isaiah didn't know when it would come, but he knew it would come. And that's the main thing for us today. We don't know exactly when it's coming, but we know what it'll be like when it does come. So Isaiah pleads with his people, just like we should listen today in America. All of us. Are you ready? Isaiah 2, 5. Come, house of Jacob. And let us walk in the light of the Lord. Why? Why do we need the Lord? Well, of course, in Jeremiah 31, the new covenant means putting the Holy Spirit into our hearts. That's the new birth. You see that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you're a teacher in Israel. You don't know that you need a new birth, that you have to be born again. Yes, that's the new covenant application for Israel, which they will experience as a nation at at the time of the great tribulation under the preaching of of Elijah. The last verses of Malachi 4. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of fathers to children and children to fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So you see, someday that nation will repent. Of what? Now, why, why do they need to repent? You see, Jesus told the people of Israel, you must repent. But they didn't see any need for it. They should have known what Isaiah says in chapter 2. Now listen. Verse 6, for thou hast abandoned thy people, the house of Jacob. Why? Why, Lord? They're your chosen people. Answer, because they are filled with influences from the east, that is from Assyria and Babylonia, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines to the west. You know, instead of divine prophecies that are true and faithful, they're listening to false ones. Yes, terrible distortions. And they strike bargains with the children of foreigners, pagans, idolaters. As a result, listen to verse 7. Their land has also been filled with what? Silver and gold. And there's no end of their treasures. Their land has also been filled 
with horses, no end to their chariots. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, which their fingers have made. And I say, Lord, that is amazing. They were prosperous, especially in the reign, you remember, of Uzziah the king, who reigned for 50 years in Jerusalem, ended up, what, being cursed by God with leprosy because he tried to intrude into the Holy of Holies to become a high priest. Yes, Isaiah saw the end of that man's reign and the prosperity upon which the people of Judah and Jerusalem were, were depending for security. Are you depending on anything, dear friend, for security beside the promises and provisions of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world? Not health, wealth, prosperity, no, not material things, not education, not brilliance, intelligence, but what? The Word of God based upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. You see, friends, what's necessary here? And so, Isaiah says in chapter 2, verse 9, So the common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased, but do not forgive them. Oh my, look what's coming. The great tribulation. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. And so, friends, Isaiah the prophet by the Holy Spirit emphasizes the horrors of the coming tribulation that is the seven-year period preceding the thousand-year kingdom, following what? The resurrection of Christian dead and the rapture of Christian living. Listen carefully now. What's going to happen when the tribulation, you don't want to be in the tribulation period that's coming. In fact, he says, enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. What's going to happen to people? The proud look of man will be abased. The loftiness of man will be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. That day, the day of the Lord. Yes, when he does these drastic things miraculously on a global scale to get people's attention everywhere in the world to what they owed. And, and what's going to happen? What's going to happen, friends, in that day? Verse 12, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against, now listen to this word against, against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be abased and will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up. Those represent, of course, cities, governments, uh, institutions of higher learning, perhaps. Anything that we put our pride and confidence in, in this world. Against all the oaks of Bashan, outwardly beautiful, spectacular things. Against all the lofty mountains, those are, those are governments. Against all the hills that are lifted up, smaller governments and nations. Against, now listen to this one, against every high tower. We'll never forget 911 in America to the extent that we put our confidence in those twin towers that simply were symbolic of what? Wealth and materialism and security, yes, they fell down, they collapsed. Well, that, friends, is going to happen all over the world. Every high tower in every city of the earth will collapse. Amazing. Keep reading. Against all the ships of Tarshish, commerce, trade, from which we get wealth and security. Against all the beautiful craft, and the pride of man will be humbled. Here's the point and the loftiness of men will be abased. Why? How? The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Yes, that's the point, friends. Why is he not exalted today in our hearts? I say, Lord, help me each morning to sit down and just say, thank you, God, for how great you are. Your wonderful love, your providence, your supernatural intervention into this world to bring a Savior to me, 
in the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Help me this day to honor you, to think of you, to act in the light of what you've told me to do. I'm not a Lord. You are. You're the Lord of my life. And I say, Lord, I, I, I want to be qualified to see you when you come to take the church, the bride and body of Christ, away from the world and usher us into your presence. I remember what the Apostle John said in his first letter. We, when we see him, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And this hope brings purification to our lives. I say, thank you, Lord. I want to begin my day, every day, with you. Humble me, prepare me to honor you today. So that day, he will force everybody, you see, to their knees. Can I put it that way? Listen. Verse 18, but the idols will completely vanish. Things that we put our hope and trust in that are, that are not adequate, sufficient, or divinely approved. And men will go into the caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and before the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Really? They're going to go where? Into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground. Now, friends, this is amazing. The Bible has a lot to say about cavemen. Have you ever thought of that? Listen to Job chapter 30. As Job describes cavemen who abused him and despised him. He was so low on the ladder of prosperity and outward, outward victory and health and happiness that even cavemen despised him. You say, really? Listen, friends, to what Job, over 4,000 years ago, said about cavemen. He said, now those younger than I mock me. This is unthinkable that a young person would mock an older person, especially one who is deeply afflicted like Job, whose fathers I disdained to put with the dogs of my flock, Indeed, what good was the strength of their hands to me? Vigor had perished from them from want and famine. They are gaunt, who gnaw the dry ground by night and waste and desolation, who pluck mallow by the bushes, and whose food is the root of the broom shrub. You can't get lower than that. That's how low some people became, even in the time of Job, long after the dispersion from the Tower of Babel. So, now listen carefully. So they dwell in dreadful valleys, in holes of the earth and of the rocks cavemen. These were real people. How did they get to be cavemen? They didn't evolve from apes, friends. No, no. Listen to this. They were driven out from the community. After the Tower of Babel, people were so cruel to push out into the wilderness, into the caves, and they were wanderers, you see, food gatherers. That's the lowest level of a human being. And I say, Lord, how, how amazingly sad to think that people that have the image and likeness of God should have to live in holes in the ground. Yes, that's far better than having no place at all to live and just die. And I say, Lord, help me to understand that cavemen in the Bible were real people who experienced terrible affliction for one reason or another. Cruelty in the government, communities, they were pushed out, you see. And Job said, even these degraded people despise me. You see the point? And I say, Lord, I'm amazed at what Job saw, what he experienced, to be despised even by cavemen. And I say, Lord... Tell me what the Bible teaches about this subject, because that turns out, friends, to be the destiny, are you ready for this? Cavemen lifestyle, the destiny of the whole human race. You say, that is unbelievable. I thought we're going up and up and higher and higher. God says, no, you're going down, down, down. Why? Because your heart is hardened against me, and I'm going to do drastic things, God says, in his love and concern for us, to get your attention, that you might think that you need a Savior, yes, 
You need the Lord Jesus, my son. You need to repent. You need to believe in him, to be pro provided for and blessed, not in human terms, but in the light of eternity, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To me, this is amazing, friends, to think of what God has prepared for the human race because he loves us so much in his grace and his wonderful, wonderful purpose for each one of us. Thank you, God. And next week, dear friends, God willing, we're going to talk more about the destiny of the human race, including cavemen who will populate the entire world. Encounter God's Truth is a Bible teaching presentation of Whitcomb Ministries, Incorporated. Our web pages are whitcombministries.org, facebook.com forward slash whitcombministries, and sermonaudio.com forward slash whitcomb. We thank you for joining us today and ask that you would pray for us that we would be faithful in teaching God's Word and that the Lord would bless our efforts by the continued expansion of our program and its ministry. Now, Dr. Whitcomb, you've begun teaching us some amazing things today from the major prophet Isaiah. Can you give us some guidelines as to how we can get the most out of the Old Testament prophets as we read and study them ourselves? Wayne, this is an amazingly significant question because there's far more in the Old Testament than we realize about the nature, the function of the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the kingdom that he's going to bring to this world. Now, the Apostle Peter, by the Spirit of God, puts it this way. 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Remember that, friends. You don't have to see Jesus to love him. The Spirit of God will illumine him through the words of the Bible sufficiently to believe in him, trust him, and even die for him. Yes, you have not seen him, you love him, though, and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the, as the outcome of your faith, what? The salvation of your souls. Now listen to how the Apostle Peter helps us to understand the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah. Listen carefully. And as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry. This is an amazing statement. Now listen seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, that's the Messiah, Jesus, and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which have now been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit. Now watch who is going to be the illuminator for us here. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead, is the neglected person of the Godhead. May I say that in our understanding of the Bible? He, after all, wrote the Bible. And even though Isaiah was 700 years before Christ ever came, he saw things about the Messiah that are astounding, especially we are known in Isaiah 53. And we therefore look at that marvelous book of 66 chapters, sort of a Bible in miniature, and say, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit who told Isaiah what to write to tell me what he meant by what he wrote, especially in the light of the fact that the Jesus that he predicted and described has already come 2,000 years ago. And Isaiah wrote these things, as Peter says, not for his own benefit, but for us, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me see how I fit into this. Isaiah wrote those prophecies according to the statement of the Apostle Peter for me, for us today, to understand things that otherwise we'd never know about Jesus. You see, the New Testament doesn't repeat every word of Isaiah's prophecies. It doesn't need to. 
The New Testament, can I say it this way, is, is sort of like a capstone on a huge pyramid of thousands of years of revelation. And the New Testament assumes that we have mastered Isaiah and the prophets. You remember what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus, don't you, to the two disciples who were full of fear and doubt. He said, O fools, he said it lovingly, O fools and slow of heart to do what? To believe all the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that includes Isaiah, he spoke unto them the things concerning himself. I say, Lord Jesus, I I need you now. I need you to help me to understand my Bible, to understand it was written for me by the Holy Spirit who loves me so much that he wants to illumine my darkened heart and mind and soul with the truth of who Jesus is as even the Old Testament prophets revealed hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And I say thank you, Lord, for this clue, this key, this that I can unlock mysteries otherwise hidden for your glory forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Friends, it's a joy to bring you classic Bible teaching from Dr. John Whitcomb each week here on Encounter God's Truth. How wonderful it is to be able to have peace and confidence in the Lord, even at a time like we're experiencing now. To bolster your faith, we invite you to listen to more of Dr. Whitcomb's messages. Praise God that we've preserved more than 1,300 of his broadcasts, sermons, lectures, and writings at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. The classroom never closes there, so please join us for more biblical teaching on creation, apologetics, prophecy, and more. It's all at sermonaudio.com slash Whitcomb. Next week, we'll turn back to Isaiah chapters 2 and 3 for a message entitled, Signs of Judgment. We trust you'll be encouraged as you learn more about God's righteous, sovereign rule over this world. Until then, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks so much for listening today.